0: section 73 of london labour and the london poor by henry mayhew volume 1 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by peter yearsley the street folk part 73 statement of a prostitute the narrative which follows that of a prostitute sleeping in the low lodging houses where boys and girls are all huddled promiscuously together discloses a system of depravity, atrocity, and enormity, which certainly cannot be paralleled in any nation, however barbarous, nor in any age, however dark. The facts detailed, it will be seen, are gross enough to make us all blush for the land in which such scenes can be daily perpetrated. The circumstances, which it is impossible to publish, are of the most loathsome and revolting nature, A good-looking girl of sixteen gave me the following awful statement. "'I am an orphan. When I was ten I was sent to service as maid of all work in a small tradesman's family. It was a hard place, and my mistress used me very cruelly, beating me often. When I had been in place three weeks my mother died, my father having died twelve years before. I stood my mistress's ill-treatment for about six months. She beat me with sticks as well as with her hands. I was black and blue, and at last I ran away. I got to Mrs. Blank, a low-lodging-house. I didn't know before that there was such a place. I heard of it from some girls at the glass-house where I went for shelter. I went with them to have a halfpenny worth of coffee, and they took me to the lodging-house. I then had three shillings, and stayed about a month and did nothing wrong living on the three shillings and what i pawned my clothes for as i got some pretty good things away with me in the lodging-house i saw nothing but what was bad and heard nothing but what was bad i was laughed at and was told to swear they said look at her for a deep blank modest fool sometimes worse than that until by degrees i got to be as bad as they were during this time i used to see boys and girls from ten and twelve years old sleeping together but understood nothing wrong. I had never heard of such places before I ran away. I can neither read nor write. My mother was a good woman, and I wish I'd had her to run away to. I saw things between almost children that I can't describe to you. Very often I saw them, and that shocked me. At the month's end, when I was beat out, I met with a young man of fifteen. I myself was going on to twelve years old, and he persuaded me to take up with him. I stayed with him three months in the same lodging-house, living with him as his wife, though we were mere children, and being true to him. At the three-month's end, he was taken up for picking pockets, and got six months. I was sorry, for he was kind to me, though I was made ill through him. So I broke some windows in St. Paul's churchyard to get into prison to get cured. I had a month in the compter, and came out well. I was scolded very much in the compter, on account of the state I was in, being so young. I had two shillings and sixpence given to me when I came out, and was forced to go into the streets for a living. I continued walking the streets for three years, sometimes making a good deal of money, sometimes none, feasting one day and starving the next. The bigger girls could persuade me to do anything they liked with my money. I was never happy all the time, but I could get no character, and could not get out of the life. I lodged all this time at a lodging-house in Kent Street. They were all thieves and bad girls. I have known between three and four dozen boys and girls sleep in one room. The beds were horrid filthy and full of vermin. There was very wicked carryings on. The boys, if any difference, was the worst. We lay packed on a full night, a dozen boys and girls squeeged into one bed. That was very often the case, some at the foot and some at the top, boys and girls all mixed. I can't go into all the particulars, but— Whatever could take place in words or acts between boys and girls did take place, and in the midst of the others. I am sorry to say I took part in these bad ways myself, but I wasn't so bad as some of the others. There was only a candle burning all night, but in summer it was light great part of the night. Some boys and girls slept without any clothes, and would dance about the room that way. I have seen them, and wicked as I was, felt ashamed." I have seen two dozen capering about the room that way some mere children the boys generally the youngest there were no men or women present there were often fights the deputy never interfered this is carried on just the same as ever to this day and is the same every night i have heard young girls shout out to one another how often they had been obliged to go to the hospital or the infirmary or the workhouse There was a great deal of boasting about what the boys and girls had stolen during the day. I have known boys and girls change their partners just for a night. At three years' end, I stole a piece of beef from a butcher. I did it to get into prison. I was sick of the life I was leading, and didn't know how to get out of it. I had a month for stealing. When I got out, I passed two days and a night in the streets, doing nothing wrong, and then went and threatened to break Missus' blank windows again i did that to get into prison again for when i lay quiet of a night in prison i thought things over and considered what a shocking life i was leading and how my health might be ruined completely and i thought i would stick to prison rather than go back to such a life i got six months for threatening when i got out i broke a lamp next morning for the same purpose and had a fortnight that was the last time i was in prison I have since been leading the same life as I told you of for the three years, and lodging at the same houses, and seeing the same goings-on. I hate such a life now more than ever. I am willing to do any work that I can in washing and cleaning. I can do a little at my needle. I could do hard work, for I have good health. I used to wash and clean in prison, and always behaved myself there. At the house where I am it is threepence a night, but at Mrs. Blank's, it is one penny and twopence a night and just the same goings on many a girl nearly all of them goes out into the streets from this penny and twopenny house to get money for their favourite boys by prostitution if the girl cannot get money she must steal something or will be beaten by her chap when she comes home i have seen them beaten often kicked and beaten until they were blind from bloodshot and their teeth knocked out with kicks from boots as the girl lays on the ground The boys in their turn are out thieving all day, and the lodging housekeeper will buy any stolen provisions off them and sell them to the lodgers. I never saw the police in the house. If a boy comes to the house on a night without money or sawney, or something to sell to the lodgers, a handkerchief or something of that kind, he is not admitted but told very plainly, Go thieve it then. Girls are treated just the same." Anybody may call in the daytime at this house and have a halfpenny worth of coffee and sit any length of time until evening. I have seen three dozen sitting there that way, all thieves and bad girls. There are no chairs and only one form in front of the fire on which a dozen can sit. The others sit on the floor all about the room, as near the fire as they can. Bad language goes on during the day, as I have told you it did during the night, and indecencies too, but nothing like so bad as at night. They talk about where there is good places to go and thieve. The missioners call sometimes, but they're laughed at often when they're talking, and always before the door's closed on them. If a decent girl goes there to get a hapeth of coffee, seeing the board over the door, she is always shocked. Many a poor girl has been ruined in this house since I was, and boys have boasted about it. I never knew boy or girl do good once get used there. Get used there, indeed, and your life ruined. I was an only child and haven't a friend in the world. I have heard several girls say how they would like to get out of the life and out of the place. From those I know I think that cruel parents and mistresses cause many to be driven there. One lodging housekeeper, Mrs. Blank, goes out dressed respectable and pawns any stolen property, or sells it at public houses. As a corroboration of the girl's statement, A wretched-looking boy, only thirteen years of age, gave me the following additional information. He had a few rags hanging about him, and no shirt. Indeed, he was hardly covered enough for purposes of decency, his skin being exposed through the rents in his jacket and trousers. He had a stepfather, who treated him very cruelly. The stepfather and the child's mother went across the country, begging and stealing. Before the mother died, an elder brother ran away on account of being beaten. Sometimes, I give his own words, he, the stepfather, wouldn't give us a bit to eat, telling us to go and thieve for it. My brother had been a month gone. He's now a soldier in Gibraltar. When I ran away to join him, I knew where to find him as we met sometimes. We lived by thieving, and I do still, by pulling flesh. Note. Stealing meat. End note. I got to lodge at Mrs. Blank. And have been there this eight months. I can read and write a little. Note. This boy then confirmed what the young girl had told me of the grossest acts night by night among the boys and girls, the language and so on, and continued. End note. I always sleep on the floor for a penny and pay a halfpenny besides for coke. At this lodging-house cats and kittens are melted down sometimes twenty a day. A quart pot is a cat and pints and half-pints are kittens a kitten pint brings threepence from the rag-shops and a cat sixpence there's convenience to melt them down at the lodging-house we can't sell clothes in the house except any lodger wants them and clothes nearly all goes to the jews in petticoat lane mrs Blank buys the sawney of us so much for the lump twopence a pound about she sells it again for twice what she gives and more perhaps thirty pounds of meat every day is sold to her I have been in prison six times, and have had three dozen. Each time I came out harder. If I left Mrs. house, I don't know how I could get my living. Lots of boys would get away if they could. I never drink. I don't like it. Very few of us boys drink. I don't like thieving, and often go about singing. But I can't live by singing, and I don't know how I could live honestly. If I had money enough to buy a stock of oranges, I think I could be honest. The above facts require no comment from me. Statement of a Beggar A beggar, decently attired and with a simple and what some would call even a respectable look, gave me the following account. I am now twenty-eight and have known all connected with the begging trade since I was fourteen. My grandfather, mother's father, was rich, owning three parts of the accommodation houses in St. Giles's. He allowed me two shillings a week pocket money. My grandfather kept the great house, the old Rose and Crown, in Church Lane, opposite Carver Street, best known as the Beggar's Opera. When a child of seven, I've seen the place crowded, crammed with nothing but beggars, first rates. None else used the house. The money I saw in the hands of the beggars made a great impression upon me. My father took away my mother's money. I wish my mother had run away instead he was kind but she was always nagging my father was a foreman in a foundry i got a situation in the same foundry after my father cut once i was sent to a bank with a cheque for thirty-eight pounds to get cashed in silver for wages in coming away i met a companion of mine and he persuaded me to bolt with the money and go to ashley's the money was too much for my head to carry i fooled all that money away i wasn't in bed for more than a fortnight I bought linnets in cages for the fancy of my persuader. In fact, I didn't know what use to put the money to. I was among plenty of girls. When the money was out, I was destitute. I couldn't go back to my employers, and I couldn't face my mother's temper. That was worse. But for that nagging of hers, I shouldn't have been as I am. She has thrashed me with a hand broom until I was silly. There's the bumps on my head, still. And yet that woman would have given me her heart's blood to do me a good. As soon as I found myself quite destitute, I went wandering about the city, picking up the skins of gooseberries and orange peel to eat, to live on, things my stomach would turn at now. At last my mother came to hear that I tried to destroy myself. She paid the thirty-eight pounds, and my former employers got me a situation in Paddington. I was there a month, and then I met him as advised me to steal the money before. He's called the ex-king of the cost among us now well he was crying hairskins and advised me again to bolt and i went with him my mind was bent upon costermongering and a roving life i couldn't settle to anything i wanted to be away when i was at work and when i was away i wanted to be back again it was difficult for me to stick to anything for five minutes together it is so now what i begin i can't finish at the time unless it's a pot of beer well in four days my adviser left me he had no more use for me i was a flat He had me for a go-along to cry his things for him. Then, for the first time in my life, I went into a low lodging-house. There was forty men and women sleeping in one room. I had to sleep with a black man, and I slept on the floor to get away from the fellow. There were plenty of girls there, some playing cards and dominoes. It was very dirty, old mother, blank, in Lawrence Lane, the Queen of Hell she was called. There was one tub among the lot of us. I felt altogether disgusted. Those who lived there were beggars, thieves, smashers, coiners, purchasers of begged and stolen goods, and prostitutes. The youngest prostitute was twelve, and so up to fifty. The beastliest language went on. It's done to outrival one another. There I met with a man called Tom Shallow. Note. Shallow is cant for half-naked. End note. And he took me out ballad singing, and when we couldn't get on at that, the songs got dead, he left me. I made him ten shillings or twelve shillings a day in them days, but he only gave me my lodgings and grub, but not half enough, and two pipes of tobacco a day to keep the hunger down that I mightn't be expensive. I then listed. I was starving, and couldn't raise a lodging. I took the shilling, but was rejected by the doctor. I listed again at Chatham afterwards, but was rejected again. I stayed jobbing among the soldiers for some weeks, and then they gave me an old regimental suit and with that I came to London. One gave me a jacket, and another a pair of military trousers, and another a pair of old ammunition boots, and so on. About that time, a batch of invalids came from Spain, where they had been under General Evans. On my way up from Chatham, I met at Gravesend with seven chaps out on the Spanish Lurk, as they called it, that is, passing themselves off as wounded men of the Spanish Legion. Two had been out in Spain, and managed the business if questions were asked. The others were regular English beggars, who had never been out of the country. I joined them as a sergeant, as I had a sergeant's jacket given me at Chatham. On our way to London, the school, as the lot is called, came all together. We picked up among us four pounds and five pounds a day, no matter where we went. The school all slept in lodging houses, and I at last began to feel comfortable in them. We spent our evenings in eating and -and out-and-out suppers, Sometimes we had such things as sucking pigs, hams, mince pies. Indeed, we lived on the best. No nobleman could live better in them days. So much wine, too. I drank in such excess, my nose was as big as that there letter stamp, so that I got a sickening of it. We gave good victuals away that was given to us. It was a nuisance to carry them. It cost us from sixpence to a shilling a day to have our shoes cleaned by poor tramps and for clean dickies the clean dodge is always the best for begging upon at woolwich we were all on the fuddle at the dust-hole and our two spokesmen were drunk and i went to beg of major blank, whose brother was then in spain he himself had been out previously meeting the major at his own house i said i was a sergeant in the third westminster grenadiers you know and served under your brother oh yes that's my brother's regiment says he where were you then on the sixteenth of october why sir." i was at the taking of the city of iron says i in fact i was at that time with the costermonger in st giles's calling cabbages white-heart cabbages oh then said the major what day was Ernani taken on why said i i was a little tipsy and bothered at the question that was the sixteenth of october too very well my man says he tapping his boots with a riding-whip he held i'll see what i can do for you and the words were no sooner out of his mouth then he stepped up to me and gave me a regular pasting. He horsewhipped me up and down stairs and all along the passages. My flesh was like sausages. I managed at last, however, to open the door myself and get away. After that, the school came to London. In a day, we used to make from eight pounds to ten pounds among us by walking up Regent Street, Bond Street, Piccadilly, Pall Mall, Oxford Street, the parks. Those places were the best beats. All the squares were good, too. It was only like a walk-out for air, and you're twenty-five shillings a man for it. At night we used to go to plays dressed like gentlemen. At first the beaks protected us, but we got found out, and the beaks grew rusty. The thing got so overdone, every beggar went out as a Spanish lurksman. Well, the beaks got up to the dodge, and all the Spanish lurksmen in their turns got to work the universal staircase, under the care of Lieutenant Tracy. Note Tothill Fields treadmill. End note. The men that had really been out and got disabled were sent to that staircase at last, and I thought I would try a fresh lurk, so I went under the care and tuition of a sailor. He had been a sailor. I became a turnpike sailor, as it's called, and went out as one of the shallow brigade, wearing a Guernsey shirt and drawers or tattered trousers. There was a school of four we only got a tidy living sixteen shillings or a pound a day among us we used to call every one that came along coal heavers and all sea-fighting captains now nah, my noble sea-fighting captain we used to say fire an odd shot from your larboard locker to us nelson's bulldogs but mind we never tried that dodge on at greenwich for fear of the old geese the college men. the shallow got so grannied note known, end note in london that the supplies got queer and i quitted the land navy shipwrecks got so common in the streets you see that people didn't care for them and i dropped getting cast away i then took to screaming. note writing on the stones End note. i got my head shaved and a cloth tied round my jaws and wrote on the flags illness and want though i was never better in my life and always had a good bellyful before i started of a morning i did very well at first Three shillings or four shillings a day sometimes more till i got grannied there is one man who draws christ's heads with the crown of thorns and mackerel on the pavement in coloured chalks there are four or five others at the same business this one however often makes a pound a day now in three hours indeed i have known him come home with twenty-one shillings besides what he drank on the way a gentleman who met him in regent street once gave him five pounds and a suit of clothes to do christ's head with a crown of thorns and mackerel on the walls his son does napoleon's heads best but makes nothing like so much as the father the father draws cats heads and salmon as well but the others are far the best spec he will often give thirteen pence and indeed fourteen pence for a silver shilling to get rid of the coppers this man's pitch is lloyd square not far from sadler's wells i have seen him commence his pitch there at half-past eleven to catch the people come from the theatre he is very clever in wet weather and when i couldn't chalk as i couldn't afford to lose time i used to dress tidy and very clean for the respectable broken-down tradesman or reduced gentleman caper i wore a suit of black generally and a clean dicky and sometimes old black kid gloves and i used to stand with a paper before my face as if ashamed to a humane public i have seen better days this is called standing pad with a fakement it is a wet weather dodge and isn't so good as grieving, but I did middling and can't bear being idle. After this I mixed with the street-patterers, note, men who make speeches in the streets, End note, on the destitute mechanics lurk. We went in a school of six at first, all in clean aprons, and spoke every man in his turn. It won't do unless you're clean. Each man wanted a particular article of dress. One had no shirt, another no shoes, another no hat, and so on no two wanted the same we said kind and benevolent christians it is with feelings of deep regret and sorrow and shame that us unfortunate tradesmen are compelled to appear before you this day to ask charity from the hands of strangers we are brought to it from want i may say actual starvation we always had a good breakfast before we started and some of us sir was full up to the brim of liquor but what will not hunger and the cries of children compel men to do we were all single men when we left our solitary and humble homes this morning our children were crying for food but if a farthing would have saved their lives we hadn't it to give them i assure you kind friends me my wife and three children would have been houseless wanderers all last night but i sold the shirt from off my back as you may see opening my jacket to pay for a lodging we are kind friends english mechanics it is hard that you won't give your own countrymen a penny when you give so much to foreign hurdy-gurdies and organ-grinders owing to the introduction of steam and machinery and foreign manufactures we have been brought to this degraded state fellow countrymen there are at this moment four thousand men like ourselves able and willing to work but can't get it and forced to wander the streets I hope and trust some humane Christian within the sound of my voice will stretch out a hand with a small trifle for us, be it ever so small, or a bit of dry bread or cold potato, or anything turned from your table. It would be of the greatest benefit to us and our poor children. Then we would whisper to one another, I hope they won't bring out any scran, only coppers. We have none of us tasted food this blessed day. We have been told to go to our parishes, but that we cannot brook. To be torn from our wives and families is heart-rending to think of. May God save us all from the Bastille. We always pattered hard at the overseers. The next of the school that spoke would change the story somehow, and try to make it more heart-rending still. We did well at first, making about five shillings a day each, working four hours, two in the morning and two in the afternoon. We got a good deal of clothing, too. The man who went without a shirt never went to a door to ask for one, Yet to show himself in the middle of the road, the man that did go to the door would say, "Do bestow a shirt on my poor shopmate, who hasn't had one for some days. It's been said of me when I had my shirt tied round my waist all the time out of sight. The man who goes without his shirt has his pick of those given. the rest are sold and shared. Whatever trade we represented, we always had one or two really of the trade in the school. These were always to be met at the lodging-houses; they were out of work and had to go to low lodging-houses to sleep. There they met with beggars who kidded them on to the lurk. The lodging-houses is good schools for that sort of thing, and when a mechanic once gets out on the lurk he never cares to go to work again. I never knew one return. I have been out oft and oft with weavers with a loom, and had woven a piece of ribbon in a gentleman's parlour. That was when we were Coventry ribbon-weavers. I have been a stocking-weaver from Leicester, and a lace-maker too from Nottingham distressed mechanics on their way to london get initiated into beggars tricks in the low lodging houses and the unions this is the way you see sir a school may be at work from the lodging house where the mechanic goes to and some of the school finds out what he is and says come and work with us in a school you'll do better than you can at your business and you can answer any questions we'll lurk on your trade i've been out with a woman and children it's been said in the papers that children can be hired for that lurk at fourpence or sixpence a day that's all fudge all stuff every bit of it there's no children to be hired there's many a labouring man out at work who has a wife and three or more children who is glad to let them go out with any patterer he knows the woman is entitled to all the clothes and grub given and her share of the tin that's the way it's done and she's treated to a drink after her day's work into the bargain I've been out on the respectable family man lurk. I was out with a woman and three kids the other day. Her husband was on the pad in the country as London was too hot to hold him. The kids draws. The younger the better for if you vex them and they're oldish they'll blow you. Liverpool Joe's boy did so at Bury St Edmunds to a patterer that he was out with and who spoke across to him. The lad shouted out so as the people about might hear, Don't you jaw me. You're not my father. My father's at home playing cards. THEY HAD TO CRACK THE PITCH, NOTE, DISCONTINUE, END NOTE, THROUGH THAT, THE RESPECTABLE FAMILY DODGE DID PRETTY WELL. I'VE BEEN ON THE CLEAN FAMILY LURK, TOO, WITH A WOMAN AND CHILDREN, WE DRESSED TO GIVE THE NOTION THAT, HOWEVER HUMBLE AT LEAST WE WERE CLEAN IN ALL OUR POVERTY, ON THIS LURK WE STAND BY THE SIDE OF THE PAVEMENT IN SILENCE, THE WIFE IN A PARTICULAR CLEAN CAP, AND A MILK WHITE APRON, THE KIDS HAVE LONG CLEAN PINAFORES, "'white as the driven snow. "'They're only used in clean lurk, "'and taken off directly they come home. "'The husband and father is in a white flannel jacket, "'an apron worn and clean, and polished shoes. "'To succeed in this caper there must be no rags, "'but plenty of darns. "'A pack of pawn-tickets is carried in the waistcoat pocket. "'One man that I know stuck them in his hat like a carman's. "'That's to show that they've parted with their little all. "'Before they came to that, they are real pawn-tickets.' I have known a man pay two shillings and sixpence for the loan of a marriage certificate to go out on the clean lurk. If a question is asked, I say, we've parted with everything, and can get no employment. To be sure, we have had a loaf from the parish, but what's that among my family? That takes the start out of the people, because they say, why not go to the parish? Some persons say, oh poor folks, they're brought to this, and how clean they are, a darn is better than a patch any time." The clean lurk is a bare living now. It was good. Lots of togs came in, and often the whole family were taken into a house and supplied with flannel enough to make underclothing for them all. All this was pledged soon afterwards, and the tickets shown to prove what was parted with through want. Those are some of the leading lurks. There's others. Fits are now bad, and paralytics are no better. The Lucifer lurk seems getting up, though. I don't mean the selling, but the dropping them in the street as if by accident. It's a great thing with the children, but no go with the old uns. I'll tell you of another lurk. A woman I know sends out her child with a quarter ounce of tea and half a quarter of sugar, and the child sits on a doorstep crying and saying, if questioned, that she was sent out for tea and sugar, and a boy snatched the change from her and threw the tea and sugar in the gutter. The mother is there like a stranger and says to the child, "'And was that your poor mother's last shilling? "'And daren't you go home, poor thing? "'Then there is a gathering, "'sometimes eighteen pence in a morning, "'but it's almost getting stale, that is. "'I've done the shivering dodge, too, "'gone out in the cold weather half-naked. "'One man has practised it so much "'that he can't get off shivering now. "'Shaking Jemmy went on with his shivering so long "'that he couldn't help it at last. "'He shivered like a jelly, "'like a calf's foot with the ague, "'on the hottest day in summer.' it's a good dodge in tidy inclement seasons it's not so good a lurk by two bob a day as it once was this is a single-handed job for if one man shivers less than another he shows that it isn't so cold as the good shiverer makes it out then it's no go of the maimed beggars some are really deserving objects as without begging they must starve to death that's a fact sir what's a labouring man to do if he's lost any of his limbs but some of these even are impostors I know several blind men who have pensions, and I know, too, who have not only pensions, but keep lodging houses and are worth money, and still go out a-begging, though not near where they live. There's the man with the very big leg, who sits on the pavement and tells a long yarn about the tram carriage having gone over him in the mines. He does very well, remarkably well. He goes tatting and billy-hunting in the country. Note. Gathering rags and buying old metal. End note and comes only to London when he has that sort of thing to dispose of. There's Paddy in the truck, too. He makes a good thing and sends money home to Ireland. He has a decrepit old mother, and it's to his credit. He never drinks. There's Jerry, the collier. He has lost both arms, and does a tidy living, and deserves it is a bad misfortune. There's Jack Tiptoe. He can't put one heel to the ground. No gammon. But Mr. Horsford and he can't agree, so Jack takes to the provinces now he did very well indeed here. There used to be a society among us called the Cadgers Club. If one got into a prison, there was a gathering for him when he came out, and six shillings a week for a sick member, and when he got out again, two collections for him, the two amounting perhaps to one pound. We paid threepence a week each, no women were members, for thirteen weeks, and then shared what was in hand, and began for the next thirteen, receiving new members and transacting the usual business of a club this has been discontinued these five years the landlord cut away with the funds we get up raffles and help one another in the best way we can now at one time we had forty-five members beside the secretary the conductor and under-conductor the rules were read over on meeting nights every wednesday evening they were very strict no swearing obscene or profane language was permitted for the first offence a fine of one penny was inflicted for the second twopence and for the third the offender was ejected the room There was very good order and few fines had to be inflicted several respectable tradesmen used to pay a trifle to be admitted out of curiosity to see the proceedings and used to be surprised at their regularity among the other rules were these a fine of one penny for any member refusing to sing when called on visitors the same all the fines went to the fund if a member didn't pay for five meeting nights he was scratched very few were scratched the secretary was a windmill cove sold children's windmills in the streets, and was excused contributing to the funds. He had one penny from each member every sharing night, once a quarter, for his labor. He was a very good scholar, and had been brought up well. The landlord generally gave a bob on a sharing night. The conductor managed the room, and the under-conductor kept the door, not admitting those who had no right to be there, and putting out those who behaved improperly it was held in the coachmaker's arms rose street longgrave street tip-top swells used to come among us and no mistake real noblemen sir one was the nephew of the duke of blank, and was well known to all of us by the nickname Facer. i used to smoke a very short and very black pipe and the honourable gent has often snatched it from my mouth and has given me a dozen cigars for it my face has been washed in the gin by a noble lord after he'd made me drunk and i felt as if it was vitriol about my eyes the beggars are now dispersed and broken up they live together now only in twos and threes and in plain truth have no money to spend they can't get it upon an average in former days a cadger could make his two or three guineas per week without working overtime but now he can hardly get a meal not even at the present winter though it's been a slap-up in clement's season to be sure The mendicity society has ruined us them men took me and gave me a month and i can say from my conscience that i was no more guilty of begging at that time than an unborn baby the beggars generally live in the low lodging houses and there of a night they tell their tales of the day and inform each other of the good and bad places throughout london and what lurks do the best they will also say what beats they intend to take the next day so that those who are on the same lurk may not go over the same ground as their pals. It is no use telling a lie, but the low lodging-houses throughout London and the country are nests for beggars and thieves. I know some houses that are wholly supported by beggars. In almost every one of the padding-kens or low-lodging-houses in the country there is a list of walks written on a piece of paper and pasted up over the kitchen mantelpiece. Now, at St. Albans, for instance, at the and at other places there is a paper stuck up in each of the kitchens this paper is headed walks out of this town and underneath it is set down the names of the villages in the neighbourhood at which a beggar may call when out on his walk and they are so arranged as to allow the cadger to make a round of about six miles each day and return the same night in many of those papers there are sometimes twenty walks set down no villages that are in any way are ever mentioned in these papers and the cadger if he feels inclined to stop for a few days in the town will be told by the lodging-house keeper or the other cadgers that he may meet there what gentlemen's seats or private houses are of any account on the walk that he means to take the names of the good houses are not set down in the paper for fear of the police most of the lodging-house keepers buy the scran broken victuals, end note, of the cadgers THE GOOD FOOD THEY EITHER EAT THEMSELVES OR SELL TO THE OTHER TRAVELERS, AND THE BAD THEY SELL TO PARTIES TO FEED THEIR DOGS OR PIGS UPON. THE cadgers' TALK IS QUITE DIFFERENT NOW TO WHAT IT WAS IN THE DAYS OF BILLY. YOU SEE, THE FLATS GOT AWAKE TO IT, SO IN COURSE WE HAD TO ALTER THE PATTER. THE NEW STYLE OF cadgers' CANT IS NOTHING LIKE THE THIEVES' CANT, AND IS DONE ALL ON THE RHYMING PRINCIPLE. THIS WAY'S THE CAPER. SUPPOSE I WANTED TO ASK A PAL TO COME AND HAVE A GLASS OF RUM, AND SMOKE A PIPE OF TOBACCO and have a game at cards with some blokes at home with me. I should say, if there were any flats present, Splodger, will you have a jack-surpass of finger and thumb, and blow your yard of tripe of nosy me and have a touch of the broads with me and the other heaps of coke at my drum? Note. In this it will be observed that every one of the cant words rhymes with the words ordinarily used to express the same idea. End note. I can assure you what little we cadgers do get, we earn uncommon hard. Why, from standing shaking, that is, being out nearly naked in the hardest frosts, I lost the use of my left side for nearly three years, and wasn't able to stir outside the door. I got my living by card-playing in the low lodging-houses all that time. I worked the oracle. They were not up to it. I put the first and seconds on, and the bridge also. I'd play at cards with anyone. You see, sir, I was afeard to come to you at first, because I had been a-starving on the pavement only a few days ago, not a hundred yards from your very door, and I thought you might know me. End of section 73